This is one of those things where um, I trust God to do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine because I'm the type of guy who, who um, uh, goes and, and prays and kind of sits in some silence and meets with God and I put my preaching calendar together and I actually trust that God knows what he was doing five months ago when I picked today's topic. Okay, Um, because the topic that we're going to go through today is probably, well, not even probably, it is one of the most uncomfortable texts in the entire New Testament. And I would love to skip it. But we as a church, we've been going through the book of Revelation. We are on week 10 of looking at this very last book of the Bible, not as a crystal ball about some future thing. That might take place word for word the way this is described or might not take place the way that this is word for word described. We're not just looking at this as a crystal ball, but as the Apostle John's deepest heartfelt desire to see the church strengthened in their faith. No matter what time period the church reads this in, for the church in John's day, how do they find encouragement, the reminder The love letter that John writes to them is basically, dear church, victory is won with everything that they were dealing with. Just And that same message is just as true for the church today, whether it's here in Canada or all over the world, that the church can rejoice because victory is won. And so today we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 16, and we're going to be talking about a challenging subject today. I'm going to talk about wrath. Now, maybe just kind of in way of show of hands, again, if you're a guest with us, I like to do show of hands because I like to know people are awake. And so show of hands, how many of you have ever experienced somebody's wrath? A whole lot of hands go up. Now, if you're sitting beside that person who, you know, gave the, don't, don't elbow them right now. Okay. I remember when I was in grade nine, Okay, first day of grade nine. Now, my family, we actually moved to a new city when I went to school in grade nine. We moved that summer. So I'm in a brand new school. I know nobody, nobody. I don't know anyone. I've moved. We moved like 600 kilometers away in this new school. And you might find this hard to believe. But when I was younger, I used to talk a lot. Okay, so I'm in class and I'm nervous. And the way I deal with my nerves is I just yabber. I just gabber, 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 gabber. And I talk about nothing, like nothing of importance. It's not going to cure cancer. It's not going to change the world. I'm just talking, right? And um, the teacher comes into the class while I'm just yabbering away. And this guy was probably about 6'5 and jacked. Like his arms were the size of my legs, Right. And now as of grade nine, my legs were the size of my pinky. But that's besides the point. He was this huge man. And he looked at me square in the eyes. He goes, I don't want to hear your voice for the rest of the semester. Yeah. Okay. Now, back then, um, I was a bit of a jerk. (laughs) Okay. I was a lot of a jerk back in those days. And so I was like, I'm going to show him who's boss. And so day two. What do I do? Just talk and talk and talk and just shooting my mouth off all over the place. This teacher walks in, 6'5", jacked, sees me yapping away, takes a handful of keys. He had like this key ring, this giant pack of rings, wheels up, pitches it, throws it against the chalkboard, cracks it, 
comes to the back of the classroom, grabs my desk, throws it out the door, says, I never want to see your face again. Woo, that came out of nowhere right now. And I wonder why I had generalized anxiety for most of my teenage years. Okay, because that's the human wrath. So often what you and I experience as human beings in this world today, when we look at wrath, we, we, we see it from the human perspective, where it's intense, where it's emotional, where it's irrational, where it comes out of nowhere. And it's usually driven not so much by your sin or your shortcoming, but rather by their sin and their shortcoming. And we just get slammed by it. And that's our human experience. So then we read the Bible and we talk about God's wrath and we read it through that lens of our human experience. And we automatically, when I first read this, who did I think of? My grade nine math teacher. But we can't do that. We have to understand who God really is as we talk about a challenging topic. So I'm going to read here. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's, it's Revelations chapter 16. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can actually go on the events tab and you can find Greenbelt Church there and you can see the whole sermon outline. And if you're joining us today or if you're joining us online and you don't own a, a, a paper Bible, a physical Bible, uh, we have some here that are free. I believe every family should own a Bible. You can take one on your way out. If you're joining us online, email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we will get a free Bible to you. Okay, so let's read here. I should have skipped it. Okay, no, let's go. No, we're going to trust God here. Let's go. This is where it says, so chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple to the seven angels. So just a quick recap. John has this vision of the throne room of heaven, and he's seeing the creatures and the elders, and they're worshiping the Lord there. And so he sees this temple, this picture of this temple. It's not a physical temple in the world. It's a spiritual temple that John sees. And then it says, go pour out the the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and turned it and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar, the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and of their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great rivers Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. 
And then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. And then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Whoo. Yeah. Um, how many of you lead with Revelations chapter 16 when you tell your non-Christian friends about the love of God? Right? Like this is not a part of our new membership class here as a church. Okay. This, in fact, we avoid this topic at all cost as Western churches. Why? Because it's messy. And it's scary, and we need to figure out how in the world does this actually encourage the church. Now, there are some people, and I've met some, and maybe you've met some too, who find great encouragement in this because they can't wait for all the nasty people to get smited this way. (laughs) If that's you, we're going to talk today. That's the wrong kind of encouragement that we're supposed to get from this. Okay, so I want to give you the big idea that we're going to unpack in the rest of our time together today. I want to give this to you right out of the gate so you can see the lens that I'm looking at this text through. And it's this, is there is no refuge from the judging God. There is no refuge from the judging God, but there is refuge in the judging God. There is no refuge from the judging God, but there is refuge in the judging God. Right? Again, so here in this passage, we're reading about judgment. We're reading about plagues. We're reading about the wrath of God. And, and what's interesting is, as we've done in this series, is how you approach the book of Revelation so will drive how you view chapter 16. It drives how you view the whole thing. Right. If you believe that this is 100 percent in the future and these are chronological in order events that happen in the future, then you're looking for a timeline. Right. You're looking. When is this going to show up? When is this going to happen? When's that going to show up? Because you're trying to take the pieces of this puzzle and figure out where am I on the timeline? (laughs) Right. how How much longer have I got to get my act together? How much longer have I got? Is it three years, two years, six months, a thousand years? Where are we at in the timeline? You interpret it that way. 
Other Christians will interpret this thinking that this is solely 100% in the past, that this is completely done. You know, with Rome and Rome's attack of Jerusalem and all of those kind of things, it's completely done, and we don't really we don't need to worry about this anymore. I'm of the position, and this is just my position, and I can be wrong. My position is that it's all of them. It's past, it's present, it's future. There's stuff that we can see in here modeled for us and shown to us in the Old Testament, and we've looked at a number of times where we've been able to clearly see that. We can see how this plays out in the Apostle John's day as they are dealing with one of the most horrific governments that their world had ever seen when they demand the worship of the, of the emperor of Rome and how that played out in the life of the church. And we can also see these spiritual things playing out today in our country and around the world. So past, present, and future, all of these things kind of inter, intertwining together. And, and one of the, te- there's, there's two big teachings when it comes to these wrath of God texts. And there's three of them. There's three passages in Revelation. There's the seal judgment. There's the trumpet judgment. And then here we have the bowls. And again, one view of these things is that there are three. Uh, so, so there's the first batch, the second batch, and the next batch. So you got seven, 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 fourteen, twenty-one. <laughs> okay, all in chronological order. That's one interpretation. There's another interpretation of this, and this is the one I'm going to focus on today. Is that those seven are the same, repeated three times. And that's actually a pattern that we see quite often in our Bible, that it repeats again and again and again. And the biblical pattern of things that repeat three times is this is important. This is important. Oh, you weren't listening the first two times. It's important. Now, I believe all of the Bible is important, but I'm going to treat Revelation 16 as of a lot more importance than the book of Leviticus where it says, do not cook a goat in your mother's milk. Because I still don't know what the application is to that in my life. I'm still working on that one. Okay? And that one's only talked about once. This is in here potentially three times. And so we can see this same pattern that plays out. You know, like in, when the seal judgments ended, when it talks about the seventh seal, that there's silence after that judgment is done. In the trumpet judgments, after that, the judgments are done. Heaven breaks out into worship after judgment is finished. And then here in the bowls, like I love this verse here in in chapter 16, verse 17, where the voice in heaven cries out, it is done. That God's wrath is satisfied. And so these, you know, these different judgments that take place here, we've talked about them already in the sermon series. If you want to go back onto our YouTube channel, you can check those out. So I'm not going to repeat them today, but I will show you how they're similar, right? How we can see this pattern play out. And that's why a lot of people are interpreting this, that this is a repeat, repeat, repeat. So you have um, the bowls compared to the trumpets, just as an example, right? The first one, it's affecting the people of the earth. It's affecting the earth and the people in it. The second judgment is affecting the sea. 
The third is affecting the rivers. The fourth is affecting the sun. The fifth, in the, the, the trumpet, it talks about the pit of evil. And for here in the bowls, it talks about the throne of evils, the kingdom of the evil, the kingdom of the dragon. And the sixth is the, the, this great river, the Euphrates River. And so this judgment, as we've been seeing in this series, has been consistent throughout the history of the people of God. That there is a dragon a spiritual enemy who hates God and hates the people of God and wants them dead, not just out of the picture, dead, dead, dead. And as we've seen, as we study this, is that the dragon uses the beast, the beast of the earth and the beast of the sea. And as you study the Hebrew in that and, and, and go back to the Old Testament, you see that this is dragon-influenced government. Okay, now don't go posting stuff about the government on your Facebook page. We've got to be mindful of this, right? But it's also dragon-influenced religion. And the dragon uses governments of the world, uses religion to defeat the people of God. That's been the pattern. It's the pattern we're in today. It's the pattern that brothers and sisters around the world experience way more worse than we do. Right? And so in the midst of this battle that is happening, these spiritual forces that are hitting up against the people of God. So we see God's response to the people who choose to worship the beast. The response to those who choose to worship the dragon through government, through religion. Is judgment, it's wrath that we see happening here. And right smack in the middle of this are words of Jesus. If, you, if your Bible's like mine, mine has the words of Jesus in red letters. And these red letters in Revelation chapter 16 jump off the page. Because here it's talking about wrath and judgment. And Jesus speaks directly to the church in this moment says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. This is nearly a direct quote from Luke's gospel. Like, so right in the middle of a passage about God's wrath is a reminder of the importance of discipleship in the church. That we are called as followers of Jesus, to become more like Christ. That's the mission. That's the goal. Right? And so in Luke chapter 12, for example, these are the words of Jesus here in verse 39 and 40, where he says, but know this, that the master of the house, sorry, but that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at any hour you do not expect. Right? Jesus is in telling the church in all of this turmoil to get your house in order. Now, again, let's just show hands for a moment. How many of you do the best cleaning of your home when people are about to come over? Yeah, that's been the worst thing about the pandemic. The worst thing about the pandemic is like, I didn't have to clean my house for two years. <laughs> Okay, now it's like, oh my goodness. And I don't have little kids anymore. I can't blame little kids. I'm the slob. It's me. I'm disgusting. 
I'm sorry, Danielle, how disgusting I am. I'm gross, okay? But we do this, right? When people are coming, then we get our house in order. And so is Jesus telling you to clean your house before your small group comes over? No. He's telling you to get your spiritual life together. Get your act together, church. Because Jesus is going to come back. And what are you doing, church? Are you distracted by the beast of the sea? You're spending all of your energy just dealing with dragon-infused government? Or you're worshiping it? Or what are you doing, church? You're spending all your time fighting and being divisive over dragon-infused religion. I think we've spent so much time fighting as Christians that Satan is having a field day with the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a distraction. The devil loves it. And Jesus, in this distraction, is saying, get your house in order. Right? He says this in, in verse 37 of Luke 12. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. It's like, church, as we clean up our lives, as we trust God, as we let him work in and through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we deal with our sin and our mess and all the things that make life complicated, when we actually deal with it, We are cleaning up. We're putting on clean clothes. We're being dressed in Christ. And we're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And then it says the Master will come and reward you with a banquet in the middle of this. Right? And so in this wrath that's happening to people, God brings encouragement to the church. And I think one of the things that's so crucial To understand this wrath is how you and I define it. And I I have this quote, and I forgot to write down the name of the author, so my apologies. It was in one of the dozen books that I read in in preparing for this message. I forgot to write down the name. But uh, I love this definition of wrath, where it says this, The wrath of God is God's strong and settled opposition to all that is evil, arising out of God's very nature. Because God is so perfect and so holy and so loving and so just that evil must be dealt with. It comes out of his character. It's his opposition to all the things that are evil. And so that's what's happening here is that regardless of how you want to see this, some future thing or something that we're dealing with today, whether it's one or the other or both, We see a call here to the church, to disciples of Jesus, in the chaos of the world, to look at this and go, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my life as a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean for us as a church? Whether our local church or the church in Ottawa or the church in Canada or the church around the world, what does this mean? So I want to give three things to consider as we look at this, and this is something that God's been doing kind of in my own life, in my own heart, as, as I go through this text and study this text. And so these are, I think, crucial for us to encourage you in your faith. And, and the first is this, is I think we have to just come to the acceptance, and we should never forget as followers of Jesus 
That judgment is horrible. That judgment is horrible. Like this description, whether it's symbolic or is going to happen word for word the way it's described, is horrible. And that should bother us as the church. That people that we love will experience this. I remember years ago, it's coming about five, six years ago now, when I went through my ordination. Um, and so part of my ordination uh, here in our Fellowship Baptist denomination was I had to have a pre-council put together and I had to prepare like a 30, 35 page theological paper on what I believe about everything. So I have all the answers if you want the answers. You know, just email me, I'll send it to you. I know everything now. I so don't, okay? But one of the things that one of the guys who was adamant about, and the thing about the, the council was, they're not supposed to teach me. They're supposed to prove, I'm supposed to be able to prove to them I can defend what I believe. That's the goal of it. But this guy was adamant. No, 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 I got to teach Kevin because he's wrong here. He's like crazy man. And like, we got to teach him this. And he was just so in love with the concept and the theological teaching of election, And what he loved about election was that there's nothing, 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 nothing that humanity can do to accept Christ as Savior. That it is completely, one million percent, God and only God. And I'm sitting there looking at him. I'm like, and so he's coming at me from a very hard-leaning five-point Calvinist belief. And I'm a 3.4 Calvinist. And I'm still working on some stuff, and I could be still wrong about some stuff. It's part of the journey. And I'm looking at him like, if that's true, then Christopher Hitchens, the famous author, atheist, is right that God is a moral monster. That there is nothing, nothing someone can do to avoid this. And God then created them for this. I'm out. I'm tapping out, right? This should bother us that this is true and that the role of the church is not to entertain ourselves. That's not the goal. The goal is not to find a church where you like the music, where you like the preacher, where you like the youth ministry. The goal is to use your gifts and your talents for the building up of the body of Christ so that this lost will be found. That's it. It's it. If you don't like my sermon and you never come back, God bless you. It's okay. <laughs> right? That's the goal here. And so this text should bother the church because it's horrible. It's horrible. And I don't want anyone that I love to experience this. This should drive the church to see missions and evangelism as the most important thing that we do. Because it's horrible. And we don't want anyone to experience this. The second thing that this text reminds me of is that God's judgment is justified. See, in my human nature, I, I just want to forgive everybody. I, I, I have a good friend of mine, and, and, and he's a universalist. And, and we, we, if you don't know what that means, it means that every single person on the planet is going to heaven. 
you know, and, and, and we wrestle over this together when we get together for coffee. He firmly, firmly believes this, that every single person on the planet is going to heaven, that the, Jesus died for all people and everyone will experience that. And I'm like, what do you do with Revelation 16? He goes, I don't read that. <laughs> okay. Well, you need to read it. Because when you read it, we see that God's judgment is justified. Because we actually see why they are receiving judgment. It's not that God's wrath is like human wrath. It's not like my math teacher's wrath. It's not illogical. It's not irrational. It's not emotional. It's coming out of God's character and his nature and the fact that he must deal with evil. Well, what is evil? It's when we worship the dragon. It's when we worship the beast. It's when we turn our hearts from God and love something else. And like, and it's actually said twice in this chapter why God's judgment is justified. In verse 11 and in verse 9, you see these little words. They refused to repent. They refused. They've heard of God. They see God at work through his miracles. They learn of God's love through the life of the church. And through the life of God's people, and they love the dragon, they love their sin, they love their power, their influence, whatever it is, the, the, the power and the influence that the beast gives them, they love that more. So they refuse. So God's judgment is justified. And then finally, the reminder and the encouragement that I find in this text, and I know it's hard to find it sometimes, is that God's judgment is just. It's just. Like as this judgment goes out and as the voice cries out that it is done, that God's full wrath is complete in the world, right? And then it says, and I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments, True and just. This is why as a pastor, uh, and just even really as a Christian guy, I'm so mindful about judging people. Uh, Let me rephrase that. I, I, I kind of don't anymore. Because the world's a mess. And for me to be out in the streets bringing condemnation and judgment everywhere that I go, um, when the reminder for me personally right here in this passage is for me to check my own life. How am I doing? Am I clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Can I say to my church, follow me as I follow the example of Jesus? Where am I at here? How are we doing? And then you know what? If we do find some sin in our house, you know, our church, let's deal with it. Let's clean it up. Let's have awkward conversations. Let's, let's roll up our sleeves and let's figure out how to love one another in all of this mess. And we're just going to trust God's judgment because it's just. Because here's what I know about me. My judgment is not just. It ain't. I'm a very, very judgy person. Oh, oh, I have opinions on everything. Like. God, take that away from my heart. (laughs) Clean me up because God's judgment is true. Not mine. God's judgment is just. You got to trust him in that as we work 
in growing and becoming more like Christ, right? Because God's judgment is not like my judgment. God's judgment is actually full of mercy. And God's judgment is actually full of love. Because there's no refuge from the judging God. But this is the good news, is that there's refuge in the judging God. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they will have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, because in their sin, the world was already condemned. The world's already dealing with Revelation 16. They're already there. But praise be to God, we can find refuge from the sin that needs to be dealt with, not by being religious, not by being good boys and good girls, but by surrendering our hearts to Christ. And you can do that real easily here in the room or online, just by saying these simple words in your own heart. Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life and make me new. (laughs) If you pray like that today, come tell me after the service. If you do it at Greenbelt Online, a little pop-up shows up. Click that button and give me your email. I'd love to follow up with you and rejoice with you. But there is hope in that message. (laughs) You see, the world that you and I live in, like I get it, Revelation 16 is hard. It's not fun to read. But we have to read it. It's the world we live in. And it's the world that's coming. Revelation 17. It gets a little harder. (laughs) So come back next week. (laughs) And then 18. It's harder. But then we get to 19 and 20. And we rejoice that there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death and no more sin. Because Jesus is victorious. It is done. It is finished. That's where our hope comes from. That's where the encouragement comes from. So don't get distracted by this. Where am I at right now? What timeline am I in? You're in it. And if you're one of the Christians that's hoping to avoid it, I used to be a rapture guy. I'm not anymore. As I've studied it more and more and more and more, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm going to be in it. Let's get ready for it. We're not avoiding it. We're not prosperity people saying, Jesus loves me. I'm not going to have any suffering. In this world, you will have many troubles. Why would Jesus encourage the church if we're not there in this text? Right? But we as the church need to be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for, oh my goodness, this word. And the challenge of it and the encouragement of it. And Father, I ask that you would forgive me when I have been asleep. And Father, I pray that you would forgive me when I've been thinking in ways that are shameful and uh, not focusing on your priorities in my life. And Father God, I pray for all of us here today as your church. Whether we just came to Jesus today, we have been walking with Jesus for decades. Father God, use us for your glory. The world is messy. And your wrath, your judgment is real. You must deal with sin. 
So God, help us to love the world in such a way that they would find refuge in you. That people would know that there is a God who loves them and that there is a church that loves them. And that God, that there is a God who welcomes them and there is a church that welcomes them. And so, Father God, I pray as we continue to worship, as we cry out, as we seek your face, Lord, speak to us. Your children are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 